0: All right, Lauren. So the episode today, all of our favorite characters get into their formal wear. What is your favorite piece of formal wear that you own?
1: That I own?
0: Or that you've ever worn. I guess I guess it's different for women. Like, you can just rent dresses.
1: Sure. I, I actually haven't really rented anything because I like to own. And so over the last couple New Year's Eves, I've been buying a new, like, full-on sequin dress for every New Year's Eve that only gets worn once. So the one I wore this year uh, was black with, like, green sequins that looked to me like dragon scales because I was trying to do the whole Khaleesi thing. And then the year before that was, like, a floor-length, like, full-on, like, rose gold sequins. And they are beautiful, but I can't wear them to any other occasion. I don't think any other occasion calls for that level of sequin.
0: Why didn't you wear it to recording today?
1: Uh, maybe for a live (laughs) event. Uh,
0: Maybe. That might be a lot... Uh, so, for me, uh, I do events for work sometimes, and we just did this large corporate event. Lauren, you might have seen the pictures on Instagram or Facebook. But uh, so I hadn't bought new dress clothes since I was in Catholic high school, and I had to wear dress clothes every day. Turns out there's been wild advancements in dress clothing since I was in Catholic school. Uh, at least dress pants. I'd, I'd been wearing the same pants since high school, so I bought some <laughs> new pants, and I bought a nice like blue suit from Target. And uh, because this was, like, a fancy event with food, I I have long hair, in case you don't know, so I had to tie it back behind my head. And so it kind of looked like a slicked back, kind of, I look like a villain in, like, an 80s sports movie.
1: Oh, I saw that Facebook thread. You got a lot of big quotation mark compliments on that aesthetic. (laughs)
0: It was amazing. I loved reading those. Like, my favorite uh, came from my friends Craig and Ed. So Craig said, you look like a banker who practices Krav Maga. And then Ed said, (laughs) emphasis on the MAGA. Oh, no. That made my day.
1: I just saw someone say that you looked like someone who was mean to dogs. And I about started crying because that is the last thing you would possibly be. Fun
0: fact, that was the one that actually upset me. I was like, no, that's not. That's too far. I could tell. I I could tell it was going to
1: be. I was like, how could they say that to him?" Yeah.
0: Like, that's not okay. Krav Maga, whatever. Dogs, no. Dogs are my friends. Anyway, this is She-Ra, Progressive of Power. <laughs> <laughs> Hi everybody, welcome to yet another episode of She-Ra, Progressive of Power. I'm Eric.
1: And I'm Lauren.
0: And we're here today to talk about the episode Princess Prom. We only record this episode once every decade, so lucky you, you get to hear it right and
1: it's, now. It's a rite of passage, as they say. Every ten years, the Princess Prom episode.
0: And did you notice, Lauren, maybe intentionally this episode kind of is a rite of passage into the rest of the season.
1: It is. Uh, it goes from the Princess of the Day one-off format into the mega arc on the latter half of the season. So that's going to make our conversations change, I think, in a really interesting way.
0: Yeah. I. Uh, and this like If you read the reviews and stuff beforehand, which we were posting a lot on our Facebook page, like so many people singled out this episode as their favorite of the season. And I feel like it's pretty passe at this point to say this is your favorite episode. It's like, oh, the Beatles are my favorite band. Have you heard of them? But, uh, boy, this episode's really, really good.
1: Oh, yeah. It reminds me a lot of, uh, like, anime episodes, because they'll always have, like, a beach episode or a formal wear episode. And a lot of relationships uh, hit, you know, turning points and things get super serious. And as someone who's really excited about cosplay and fashion in general, I I just like looking at it.
0: Well, that's just it. I think one of the reasons this episode is so cool is because we get to see characters completely break out of their regular modes of dress and their models and do something really interesting. Lauren, do you think we maybe have a guest who can talk about that?
1: We might have found just the person. This is my friend Ashley Demma. Uh, Ashley is a digital content creator here in the Chicago area. And... I recognized her for this episode because on her Instagram, her social presence, it, she's always pointing out the really cool designer finds that she found at the store or new lines coming out that she's excited about. And she even hosts clothing swaps for women where uh, people like me go and get free outfits that other people maybe didn't like or didn't suit them. And then they find their their new homes with other people. Uh, Ashley, thank you for coming on to the show. I know we asked you kind of last minute and we're so glad you're here. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Ashley um, is not actually a storied fan of She-Ra, correct?
2: I am not. So um, I was born in 1989, so I was only here for a bit. Uh, (laughs) I totally missed it the first time around. And yeah, I really knew nothing about it before you started doing this podcast. But I have to say, I've watched uh, like eight episodes in a day and a half, so I'm getting there, I'm getting there. (laughs) This
0: is like in our first couple seasons of the show where we were watching the original series and people would come on that hadn't seen it before. This is cool.
1: I super don't mind it because I hadn't watched it before I started doing this podcast. That was kind of the whole point. So I thought she'd be a great guest for Princess Prom specifically because as Eric kind of alluded to, the characters put on different outfits that really embody their personalities or maybe even their intention for the evening. And I wanted to see what she got out of those looks, what messages she was gleaning from them. Maybe not being as deep into the lore as we are. Maybe, maybe. I mean, she's apparently binging it. So true.
2: I've got ideas.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's, um, I'll do this live this time. I know how much you guys love my reading the Netflix recaps in a very proper voice but uh, I'll do it in studio this time. So Princess Prom opens with all of our favorite characters getting an invitation to this once every 10 years event. It's not actually called the Princess Prom. It's called the something...
1: Something... The all-princess ball? ball,
0: Yes, the all-princess ball. And Adora's invited, and she's kind of freaking out because dancing is not something you do in the Horde. Uh, Meanwhile, we cut to the Fright Zone and learn that Scorpio was also invited because guess what? She is a princess... Uh, Just her people kind of uh, embrace the horde versus deciding to fight against them. So she's not really cool with the other princesses, but she also has an invitation. So our gang gets ready to go. Uh, Glimmer has some drama because she assumes that Bo will be her plus one. But in fact, uh, Bo is going with Perfuma gasp. Uh, I know, such, such drama. Meanwhile, Adora makes like a battle plan to learn all about the etiquette and the rules of going to a formal event. Uh, Of course, we have a really wonderful makeover sequence I'm sure we will talk about. Uh, When we get to the event, we meet Princess Frosta, who is the last of the princesses we meet in season one. And much to Adora's surprise, and maybe ours, she's 11 and three quarters years old. And all of Adora's etiquette training goes out the door. Um, So they get off on a bad foot, unfortunately. Um, Adora and Glimmer try to convince Frosta she should join the rebellion. That's kind of like their B reason for being at at the ball. Catra and Scorpia show up. Adora thinks Catra's up to something, but actually it is Scorpia who's putting little heat bombs all around the ball palace, uh, making it- The ball (laughs) palace? The ballroom, whatever it is. Um, She makes the structure explode. They capture Glimmer and Bo at the end. And this leads us into a story that doesn't end until episode 13 of She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. But yeah, we're left with a cliffhanger where Adora- is, uh, I believe, swordless and watching Catra and Scorpia fly away with her best friends.
1: Yes, the sword is given up uh, as part of the no weapons policy at this prom, and Scorpia takes it and actually, I think, hands it off to Kyle, but the Horde definitely has it now.
0: Uh, I'm just realizing now that this is the only episode, I think, where She-Ra does not appear at all. There's That's no she
1: She wants to be She-Ra because she quote, has better hair but she is not allowed.
0: Well, we should probably just talk about that makeover sequence first, right? And how delightful it is. Like, let's just get into why we're all here.
1: <laughs> the, the meat of this episode. Each character has to produce formal wear that I think says something about them. Uh, I'd like to start out by pointing out one of my opinions, which is Adora's outfit, to me, looks like something you'd buy off of one of those bridesmaids' websites where it's like, the bride told you to pick a color and you just have to like find a dress that sort of suits you. You can tell dressing up is not her thing.
2: No, totally. They've got those dresses where it's like, wear 16 ways and you just keep wrapping this little piece of fabric around various parts of your body. And when I was looking at the construction of it, it seemed like it was very much like a strapless dress with sort of like a a halter neck um, sheer panel down the middle.
1: And the drape only comes down the front. Right. And I actually thought of those, like, wear 11 ways garments, too. It's funny that you say that. (laughs) That is
2: dead on. But, like, I like the way she belted it. I think that that could be cute. I was thinking very much about how I might pull that off in real life, and my first instinct was, like, a laurel leaf belt. But since her headwear is more, like, Nordic-inspired, I'm not sure that, like, a Greco belt is the right choice.
1: She literally is wearing like a knife in her hair. That, uh, yeah.
0: So in the end, her and Kat are like falling off of the ice palace, not the ball palace. And uh, <laughs> and to save herself, she pulls her hairpin out and uses it to stick into the ice, which is so awesome. So her her she's not totally without weapons, I suppose.
2: What do we think that was made of for it to pierce the ice that way? I want like a Mythbusters <laughs> about how she pulled that off.
1: Yeah, I, I, I thought maybe it was just more about how strong she was, but you're right. She wasn't She-Ra. Yeah. yeah. Where can I get hairpins
2: like that?
0: But yeah, that that whole, that sequence is such a joy because we see Adora do it. We see Bo and Perfuma and Catra and Scorpia. And I think the Horde ladies probably, for to me, those are the dresses that really caught my eye, honestly.
2: Well...
1: I really wanna know where Scorpio's closet is and what all is in there because she explores some looks. We see a sort of gothic Lolita thing that she pulls out. We see an 80s sort of makeup look that she pulls out. And what she comes up with is stunning. Like she's straight gleaming when she comes out. But I, I, where is she keeping all these things? Why?
2: Yeah, the uh, the first thing that struck me was that like thigh high slit and the belt of like rubies, and it was like Brigitte Nielsen realness, like powerful. And um, but I did like that her accessories too were functional in the end.
1: Well, she was blushing, which I really liked. Like she looked amazing, but also maybe can't take a compliment so well. One thing I appreciated, speaking of the the horde scene, is Katra's suit. Obviously, that is very like empowering and it's well-tailored and she looks great. I, I bring up that the Ask Catra hashtag from a couple episodes ago confirmed that the Horde actually gave that to her and the Horde taught her how to dance in a simulation, which is hilarious. But the suit is actually not that unique in the context of the rest of the party. There are lots of uh, women and gender-fluid-looking characters that are... Dressing in in suits and things inspired by other countries. There's lots of fashion that is atypical prom stuff. So
0: I think the reason her suit stood out to me is I got a total Annie Lennox vibe off of that. Like the suit mixed with her hair and her demeanor. I don't know. It just reminded me so much of Annie Lennox. I, I thought she was like a really imposing figure, but not necessarily in a threatening way, but like all eyes were drawn to her, you know?
1: Well, the undone bow tie and the fingerless gloves really add to it.
2: Oh, yeah. I wanted to talk about the gloves for a minute. Um, I was thinking of also, like, great gloved characters lately. And um, Theo from Hill House came to mind. And also um, uh, Henley from the first Now You See Me movie. But I just love this idea that, like, at any moment, like, her claws could, like, rip through the gloves. And uh, even her feet, she had these sort of spats like she usually wears, but they were in that kind of maroon color. Um, I just thought it was great.
0: I'd love to hear your take on Beau's outfit as well. I thought he looked quite dapper.
2: Yes. um, I loved Beau's cardigan pin that sort of, like, holds the ends of the sweater. Um, And I did think it was really funny that he brought up the cummerbund and how cold he was without it. Um, I love the crop top all the time on Beau, and even, like, (laughs) crop top formal wear is a bold choice.
1: There was definitely a, a real charm to him taking the cummerbund off to feel more like his true self, but then later admitting that maybe it wasn't such a good idea, maybe he was freezing. Right.
2: Like anytime you've walked to a party in the cold and you're like, I shouldn't wear this dress, I'm so cold, I'm so cold.
1: It reminds me of, yeah, so many pairs of shoes that I've worn right. that look really great, and then I realize I have to stand for several hours and it was a huge mistake. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Seeing that in a in a male character made me feel very gratified.
0: Of course, Bo is close to the only man at the at the princess prom, but he is not the only one. Lauren, your favorite guy is back.
1: Adventure.
0: And what? Well, maybe I'm wrong, so you'll have to correct me. And maybe I'm so wrong, we won't even keep this audio. But does Seahawks formal wear seem slightly gender fluid
1: to you? I didn't even notice that he was wearing something different, if I'm honest, because I cover my eyes when he's on screen. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So I was surprised that you hate Seahawk so much because I was thinking about who my favorite character was, and I think it's him. I love when he's on screen. He's so dumb and funny. I have to... Okay,
1: the, my hatred of Seahawk is, I think, overblown because I'm kind of doing a bit with it. It's, it's just becoming part of the show. And I will fully show my hand a little bit and say that this scene between Seahawk and Mermista is my favorite Seahawk scene in the in the series. So he does redeem himself a little bit because this is the scene where you really kind of get to see their shared affection, and that despite the airs that both of them are putting on underneath, they actually are attached to one another and care. And I like that. I like seeing that in Seahawk.
0: Yeah, I thought I didn't believe you when we talked about Seahawk previously, and you were like, oh, I think Mermista's actually into it. But having that in my mind, when you see their play of where she's like, he's not my date, he's just my plus one. And then he's like, I'm her date. (laughs) Like, that's very... They're definitely in on it together, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I don't get the impression from this scene that he's making that up. I get the impression that they had, like, a talk about it off-screen, and she was like, please don't make it a big deal, but... I'm into it. Will you come with me? And he's just beside himself over how happy that makes him. And that's sweet.
0: And her whole introduction, she's like, oh, I'm here too. Do, you know, no big deal. Uh, she, All the princesses, I think, are so great in this episode.
2: Yeah, Mermista's outfits was actually one of my favorites. And I thought she had sort of a sorry thing going on on top. And I really loved how she had the blue eyeliner, and she still kind of had these, like, Veronica Lake waves that really, you know, tie in the mermaid theme. But it seemed very 2019, too, with, like, the top knot. Um, and I thought it was really cool how a lot of the looks seemed a lot easier to pull off in real life than being part of this fantasy realm. Like, their actual everyday hero costumes seem more out of the ordinary than the prom looks.
1: Yeah, like, I don't think I could go to the store and buy Glimmer's outfit or she outfit. But I've definitely seen some of this stuff at stores. Speaking of, I'm told you're working on a bit of a project inspired by these prom
2: outfits. Could you tell us what you did for us? I am. So I'm going to be creating these shop look sets, um, similar to what used to be Polyvore. And they'll have collections um, of shoes and accessories and the dresses for each of the princesses. And I think I'll do a special one for Beau and perhaps Seahawk as well, if uh, Lauren will stand it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Seahawk is the one I'll buy just to make a point. We will link those in uh, both on Facebook and probably on the the website as well.
0: Absolutely. So uh, I'm curious for each of you, whose personal fashion in this episode do you tend to the most? Like for your next formal, which character would you, whose uh, style would you ape?
1: You know, she's not my favorite princess, but I'd probably end up somewhere in the realm of Perfuma. She had a very feminine look going and... uh, I also really liked the sort of romantic hair and I thought it was really sweet that she had a necklace that her date gave her that went with it. I was really feeling what Perfumo was doing.
2: Yeah, like in my heart of hearts, I feel like I gravitated the most towards glimmers and you know, teen Ashley definitely wore some variation of that, But, but I wish I had the guts to be like, uh, Ketra.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Hell yeah. Sweet. So that's a good segue into something else that I think really excels about this episode, which is the music. You guys notice the music in this episode? I
1: did. It's very uh, synthy and maybe even a little bit 80s. Yeah. It felt like prom. It felt like Stranger Things, which ended with a prom. And it also felt like the old she It felt like we were kind of paying tribute to the original era of the show. And I was really excited about that.
0: Yeah, I got some Churches vibes, but it's probably more accurate to say that Churches is is kind of channeling the same thing that this music is. Um, It was there during the the montage of getting dressed. They had like a live band at the prom that was playing uh, this kind of music. It was really, really cool. I liked it.
2: Did it stand out to you guys that the decor inside um, Frost's Palace looked really similar to the way the Great Hall was decorated for the Yule Ball?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's sort of glassy icy look I mean I think was thematically appropriate to the kingdom we were in but I definitely saw that connection I mean it's it's yule it's a winter I get I get it speaking of things around the prom um, I have taken to looking at the backgrounds of the scenes the second watch through to see what I can see if there's any hidden characters or or lore moments that they're trying to give us For one, it was mentioned specifically that the Star Sisters, Sweet Bee, Perfuma, and Peekaboo all exist. And I was trying to figure out if the two women in the suits with the sort of star-looking crowns, if those were the Star Sisters or not. But we know that all of those characters are canon.
0: Well, and then Sweet Bee and Peekaboo are dating, right? According to Adora's chart, yeah.
1: And also we saw the coffee princess, who, I don't know who that is, but one of our listeners pointed them out.
0: (laughs) Oh, Daria? Princess
1: Daria? Well, one of my questions is, are some of the people in the backgrounds of this episode creators from the show? Because I swear I heard that somewhere. And there's enough just, like, normal-looking human people. There's, like, a dude in a baseball cap at one point. Like, these just have to be people who worked on the show, right? Uh, And then finally there was uh, a kind of a girl version of Lookie. Um, what was the name? Lossie. Yeah, Lossie. Like Lossie or uh, some variant of Lookie's species or race was definitely at this party. And so they exist that. in this world too.
2: Are there, like, chimera in this world? Because I saw, like, antlered things and wasn't sure if that was a headdress choice or... I think they're going with the different kingdoms. I think the, like, antler deer
1: type people, that's supposed to be, like, perfumas people. And then the mermaid type people, those are mermistas people. But there was, there was all sorts of stuff going on.
0: While we're there, we should probably actually talk about Frosta, right? And her kind of position and, and what she represents in this world. So... Frosta's an interesting character, probably the biggest departure from the original series, um, where she's a very, like, sexed-up, slightly older woman who's super into He-Man. Yeah, Um, it's not that
1: anymore. (laughs) No, none of
0: that is happening.
1: Right. Well, Frosta's kingdom is apparently huge. It seems to be pretty far away from the action, but there's also a note of just her pridefulness. She points out the fact that she's young and people see her as a child, But uh, she's done a lot to gain respect. And so she's a very controlling, commanding personality, I think, to make up for maybe some insecurities about her age. And so just the idea that she can be decisive and she can be stubborn, I think, is part of her whole vibe. I think it's a very intentional just face she's putting on.
2: Yeah, I thought it was kind of interesting that this coming of age event for All the princesses who appear to be roughly the same age is sort of presided over by this very young woman Um, and just kind of the dynamics there that she has all this power, but she's only 11 and she's, you know, um, welcoming all these people into her home who are figuring out their own problems at a much older age.
1: Well, theoretically, I don't know if the the show touches on this or not, but there's got to be a reason Why a child was sort of left in charge of this kingdom. And if the whole idea is there was a former princess rebellion and a lot of the older generation and kings died, maybe her parents got killed the last time we tried this.
0: Yeah, I don't know whether that's canon or if that's just what was in my head, but I think that that must be true as well. And yeah, it seems like a a lot of her um, political standpoint comes from the fact that, yes, she does have to keep up this air of like, no, this is the rules. This is how we do things. Like, this is my chance to prove myself. Like, you come to my house and you obey the rules because this is how things are.
1: There was something to just be optimistic and precious for a second. There's so many traditions and such high etiquette and it's ancient. But to go back to the background of this of this scene for a second, there's lots of same-sex couples. There's physical affection being exchanged between women, and there's people who appear gender-fluid and very unique, and there's lots of people expressing themselves in different ways. And so I love the idea that this is a world of ancient tradition, and we're really piling on the rules, but Apparently the rules that they've made and the traditions they're obeying are like actually super progressive. I'm excited by that.
0: Yeah, that's part of what I, I said. You know, Do you remember my hot take at the start of the season that this show is actually less political than the original? Because that's not an, a point of argument. There's no character who's like, well, I think two women should be allowed to be here romantically. That's just a given. Like, sure, why wouldn't they be? You know? Right,
1: no one points it out or says anything, right. so it's totally just the world.
0: It's the background of the world, and I, I love that. Uh, I'd love to talk about Scorpia while we're on The Princesses. This is the ep- this is only her second appearance, right? And this is, I think, the episode where we really get a sense of who she is and what her story is. And boy, I just love her so much.
2: Yeah, I thought it was really interesting in the reveal that she is of both worlds, you know, that she doesn't really fit in with one or the other. And I think in the same way that Adora had to make a big choice about which side she was going to be on, Scorpia does too. Um, and we see that later with Trapta as well. And I think each one of them is questioning where they want to be and and who are they now compared to who were they then. Um, But with Scorpia, I really think that her like fashion choices even were influenced by having a differently shaped body or a differently appendaged body, if you will. Um, And so that high slit dress actually kind of works because she needs somewhere for her scorpion tail to like go.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. So when she says that She hasn't really fit in with the other princesses. Did you take that to mean physically, like somehow she was ostracized because of her body and her proportions? Uh,
2: Was I to understand that Scorpia, like, is a scorpion because of the horde or no? Maybe I totally misunderstood that.
1: That's actually a really good question. So when I heard that scene, I kind of assumed it was because she's from some sort of race of scorpion people in the same way that Katra must be from cat-like people. And so I imagined her being ostracized for her appearance, but it certainly wouldn't be out of the question that she was given some sort of power. Um, speaking of giving power, do we believe the story she tells about how her family was like, chill with the horde and gave them the Black Garnet because there's a version of this where that's just what she was told. And in reality, it, there was like a violent takeover. Do we think she knows the truth?
0: It never occurred to me that that might be false. But yeah, it makes perfect sense that they lied to her.
1: I mean, they lie to everyone. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it could be true too, you know?
2: I don't I don't know. I took her at her word and I, I almost thought that it helped um, kind of explain some questions I had had about like Why they hated the Horde so much and what could it be like if they had tried to achieve peace together or some sort of understanding? And it seems like Scorpia's family had that.
1: It very well could be. And she makes a good case for the princesses and the good side of this story, not necessarily being all they're cracked up to be. So we've talked about it before. The princesses seem sort of high and mighty they're sometimes kind of haughty, and we see some of our characters' bad habits come up in this episode again. Like Glimmer once again looks at another princess and sort of dehumanizes them and says she'd be a great catch for the rebellion, as you know, and sees Frosta as an asset
0: first. Right. Right.
1: And again, Adora, in her like traumatized state causes a bunch of destruction and makes a huge scene at this party. And again, people totally don't believe her and kind of gaslight her. And just everyone is treating each other the same bad ways that they have in previous episodes.
0: Well, and speaking of Glimmer, this is more personal than political, but she also has a huge hangup about Bo getting new friends.
1: Yeah, I. If, if we want to talk about that, that's one of the more challenging parts of this episode for me because... I, I see Glimmer's point of view and that everything everyone's growing up and everything's changing so quickly. And of course, that's going to cause sadness and jealousy, especially to a you know young teen girl. That's completely understandable. On the other hand, I'm not sure she or the people around her are completely aware when we're talking about friends and when we're talking about more than friends Um I, I I'm am kind of unsure. I think she's Bo's friend, and I think Bo's on a date with Perfuma.
0: Yeah. So is that cartoon tropes, or is that lack of character understanding, or is it both?
1: I don't think it's cartoon tropes. I think it's very realistic. I think it's what happens when you start growing up and feeling a different way about the people around you.
0: So I meant more specifically just the use of the term friend because I don't know if you remember Lookie's moral from the first Seahawk episode. <laughs> if, if you like somebody, ask them to take a walk and they might just be your friend.
1: Ah, uh, fair. <laughs>
0: but no, I think you're right. There's There's a lot of, I'm sure that a lot of young people out there see themselves in Glimmer. I know I had friends who like, I resented them getting significant others, because it's like, well, what about me? I want to hang out on Friday nights. You know? We've all been there. Some of us maybe are still there. <laughs> I'm cool, guys. It's all good. <laughs> in today's story, Adora and Seahawk liked each other, but they were afraid to admit it. But once they did, they became good friends everyone wants to be liked. If you like
2: someone, tell them. And who knows? They may even say I like you right back.
1: <laughs> so a lot of these characters' outfits really suit their personalities in a sort of passive way, but some of the things we've been saying about Katra are a little bit more active and Scorpia as well. You know, they they need room for their weapons. They they're trying to make a statement and project power. Is there anyone in like politics right now? or even just the celebrity world that you think is trying to do that with what they wear, my obvious
2: go-to, for better or worse, is Melania Trump. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about um, famous formal wear, and it kind of made me think of what she wore to the inaugural ball, um, which was really quite tasteful and subdued. I think she definitely looked the part of a first lady. But as we've seen her personal style evolve, um, you know, that jacket, um, I don't care, do you, I really don't care, do you? That is a, a, a huge misstep, and yeah. I have a hard time believing that was unintentional. Right, like, as as someone who is not in the public eye, I pay very close attention to what I wear and what image I am sending with that, and I have a hard time believing that someone who is in the public eye, arguably one of the most famous figures, does not think about that.
1: Well, just like we have Glimmer recommending to Adora things that work and don't work on her, certainly the First Lady of the United States has someone telling her, This is a go. This is a no go. This was there's no way someone like that just makes a faux pas like that for no reason. I will say our previous president and previous first lady came under a lot of unnecessary fire for their fashion. Do you remember when Barack Obama wore a tan suit and everyone just freaked out like it was the end of the world?
2: Yeah, and but I think that's interesting. It was just a step away from traditional, right? Like it was still a great suit, just in an uh, unconventional color. But even um, even a choice like that, that is so subtle, is so shocking in a you know conservative Washington area.
1: Well, and frankly, I mean, I don't want to make it about this, but Barack Obama is a black man, and that color works with his skin tone. And there's a little bit of. Kind of passive racism to the idea that a president has never worn anything like that before. Like, well, this president is a different type of guy and it's fine. Uh, The same with with Michelle Obama showing her her arms off was this huge scandal. And I just I just want to let people live. If
2: you look great, you look great. Yeah, I mean, I know a lot's been said about um, Michelle Obama's arms and her body, and she always looked strong and capable. And that really struck me about Adora's look as well, that when she chose her formal wear, it was shoulder-bearing. She looked like at any point she could reach for her sword and transform into She-Ra if she had to.
1: Right, even if she didn't have it, that's still her instinct and still who she is. Uh, I do want to point out, uh, this is not hot, hot news anymore, but um, on Michelle Obama's book tour, she wore those like, hollow gold Balenciaga. And I was like, I'm so glad that you have stopped caring about what people say about your outfit, because had the first lady stepped out in that, she would have been burned at the stake and it wouldn't have been fair. And now that she's not in that position of power anymore, you deserve it, Mrs. Obama.
2: (laughs) Yeah, but I think that's so great. I mean, what a message. Like she is her own person and she gets to be who she couldn't be before. Um, And I think it's actually sort of influenced other, you know, up and coming young people in the political space. I mean, it particularly makes me think of uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and uh, her insistence on wearing her bold red lip. And, you know, red is such a aggressive color, but a color of passion. And it's just not seen, typically. Um, and it made me really think of Adora, but also um, Catra's choices in dresses. Like that burgundy suit is very powerful.
1: One more note about the sort of vintage vibes of this episode. The last moment of this episode when we see Katra, and she has her captors and the sword and she's like cackling, um, that read very vintage Shira to me as well. The sort of like really toyetic vehicle and like the, the action figures lined up in it. I was like, yeah, I'm going to go buy that thing.
0: So I I love your point that, like, the action sequence of this episode feels super toyetic because it does, and you're right, that last shot is like what you would freeze frame in a commercial to be like, collect them all with accessories. But I feel also like Princess Prom is the episode where this show, this iteration of She-Ra becomes mega confident in itself, and it completely breaks from the 80s. Like, the way that this episode switches between tones of, like oh, it's, it's really funny, and then there's some romance, and then it's very dramatic, and then there's this, like, high-tense action sequence that's kind of violent, is so cool. And the 80s show, it literally wasn't equipped to do that, because, like, you couldn't even go off model with your characters. Like, you couldn't give them all new fashion to wear for an episode, because that they just use stock footage Too for expensive everything. expensive to draw. Right. So I, I just, I think this episode's a real achievement, and the fact that it doesn't even have She-Ra in it at all, it blows me away. And, like, Weirdly, the thing that made me most emotional in this episode is the the um, makeover sequence. Because it's the kind of thing where, like, you never see this in the 80s show. And I love that now you can. And this is this is She-Ra now.
1: I was really taken by s- several of those emotional points you're mentioning. It was violent. Like, I love Scorpia. And I find her tail strikes just viscerally violent. I wince every time they happen. And we saw several characters cry in this episode, over their relationships, Glimmer's crying over Beau. Adora's crying because Catra is her friend and has taken everything from her. And I just never felt quite as emotionally uh, just overcome by the old show. This is a real success.
0: Absolutely.
2: And much like a real promendance, with everyone crying. <laughs> it does.
0: Yet, did anyone's actual prom nights end quite as as horribly as this one?
2: Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, the <laughs> the, the guy I had a crush on who I wish would have taken me to prom uh, obviously was with someone else and I was so angry we were in the same friend group and we took a limo home that I slapped him across the face
1: Whoa! Oh my God, it was not amazing. good I'm really sorry So I didn't go to prom because uh, during high school I was dating, not really dating, it was complicated, with someone who was in college, and he was much too cool to go to prom. And I was like, yeah, we're way too cool to go to prom. We don't do things like that. And I like resent it to this day. So actually, my birthday this year is going to be a prom, and y'all are going to be invited.
0: So I have – that's amazing. I have a really off-brand-for-Eric prom story, (laughs) which is my prom senior year of high school, I – so I moved between junior high and high school. I moved across the state from the Quad Cities to the Chicago suburbs. And um, my senior year in the Chicago suburbs, I got to take the girl that I had crushed on for all of junior high and most of high school, even from across the state, my friend Lindsay, who, like – I don't know. Some personal stuff had happened my senior year, like my mom passed away, and it. I I, probably she just felt a little bad and was like, "Mom, I'm going to throw him a bone and I'm going to go to his prom three hours away from where I live. So her mom drove her to the Chicago suburbs. They stayed in like a shitty motel across the street from the Kmart where I worked. And then like I dropped her off at the end of the night and I think gave her a kiss on the cheek. And that was it. That was my prom night. And it was like the sweetest thing. So I guess my prom was kind of dope, actually.
2: It was just very reasonable. It was
0: so (laughs) chaste and like, and I mean, yeah, it was what it was.
2: What was your prom attire like? Did you go traditional? Did you break the mold?
0: Oh, it was super traditional. I'm sure I looked like a giant fucking dork. I mean, I still mostly do, but at least now I look like a dork who also runs LexCorp on the side. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to carve
1: out your heart and put it on a pike in my throne room. As much as I'd enjoy seeing that, first you've got some business with me. Sorry it took me so long. I had to go get my power suit. And did we ever talk about... That fan who wrote to us about Kyle.
0: Oh, I guess we should. Okay. Is this the episode? I was going to wait till the one where he was in prison, but we can do it now.
1: Yeah, I want to do it now because, I mean, for one, I don't agree with this fan theory. Thank you for sending it to us. I'm not on board with it. But Kyle, through a lot of this episode, to me looks miserable. Like he's enacting this evil plan but he looks has, like hesitant and unhappy the entire time. And I wanted to know why that was. I think it's just because he's a sweet cinnamon roll boy. But someone sent us a picture that... Guesses it's something else.
0: Okay, so a gentleman by the name of Lucas Gutierrez messaged us a few weeks ago and just sent us some shots of side-by-side Kyle and then images from the original Masters of the Universe Princess of Power cartoon. So, for instance, Kyle... Passed out on a training floor with an X on a little diamond on his chest from his training outfit. And then He-Man's chest diamond circled. Or, like, this one's a stretch, but, like, Prince Adam and Bo shaking hands in a bar. And then Bo and Kyle um, pressing hands up against, uh, like, a prison, uh, you know, the prison cell each other. Lucas says... My theory is that Skeletor also got rid of Adam, as that would break his brother and give him an easy go on taking over Eternia. Shadow Weaver kept him to see if he ever developed power. I mean, the guy is so clumsy he shouldn't even be there. Then he attached, I think, a fan picture of Kyle in He-Man armor standing next to Adora. And then he said, I'm new in this fandom, but I really need to find someone big to expose this, which is very
2: sweet.
1: We are the biggest She-Ra podcast and that we're the only one. You know, like, I will say I don't agree with it. I don't think that's what they're going for. But having read his explanation, I'm kind of a fan of it. I'm kind of here for it. It's
0: a cool twist, right? Like, I actually, I I agree. I don't think this is what's really happening. But I think that that is a cool twist, and it does kind of make sense. Like, yeah, Shadow Weaver knows about the Twins of Power in theory. Why wouldn't she keep Adam around? And if Adam was nobody, then Adam becomes poor Kyle, the the put-upon lad.
1: Right, and even from a just a meta-production standpoint, that would be a cool, like— get to pre-build into your show in case you wanted to take it there. And then if it never did, then who would ever be the wiser except for this man?
0: Right. And so, like, again, we don't actually think this is happening. If we have, like, ruined DreamWorks, like, super secret reveal, we're so sorry. But it was a really thoughtful and cool theory. And I mean, the ep- the first picture Lucas sent to us is from this episode. It's from Kyle clutching Adora's sword while Bo is tied up. And I don't know. I mean, it doesn't look out of place, but I think I only think that now because I've seen all of this.
1: Right. And we do we do just appreciate the fan letters always because whether or not... I agree with this thing. I'm so psyched that y'all want to have this conversation with us and you think we'd have something cool to say about it. We love you so much.
0: And we both have our wild fan speculations, so, you know, why not add another one into the fire?
1: So, Ashley, thank you so much for being here. Uh, if our listeners want to find you online, if you wish to be
2: found, how, how can they hit you up? Hey, if you guys are interested, you can find me on Instagram. I am Gotham in a Garden.
1: Awesome, and we will link to her. Uh, kind of, they're, they're kind of like Pinterest boards, except they use real products that you can get for the different prom outfits. I can't wait to see them. I, I'm going to try to dress up like Seahawk.
0: Hell yeah. Thanks, guys.
1: Thanks for listening to She-Ra, Progressive of Power. If you like our show, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We super appreciate it. You can also send in any feedback you have to our email address, progressiveofpower at gmail.com or to our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash progressiveofpower.